At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for another political breakfast right here on WABE. Our strategists are here, Theron Johnson and Brian Robinson. Producer Lily Oppenheim here, too. This is the day after the Juneteenth holiday. And boy, I was impressed. Juneteenth activities popped up all over Metro Atlanta. I went to a great one Friday night sponsored by uh, my chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Phi Phi Omega. And there were so many others that were out there and that were really, really good. Theron, what about you? Did you take part in any? I did. I had actually um, two events and really just wanted to shout out a lot of the stations across the metro area who really took the time from an informative point of view to really do specials about Juneteenth. I mean, you know, up until mm-hmm. a few years ago, I think the nation didn't really understand the significance of this now national holiday. But I just remember growing up in Athens, Lisa, with the NAACP chapter there and also when I was at Clark Atlanta University. And even the Atlanta chapter and Georgia chapter has always celebrated Juneteenth. And so a lot of good activities just really talked about where we are as a nation and that just want to commend Joe Biden and, and others who saw it fit to make this a national holiday. A lot of people refer to it as our second Independence Day, Lisa. So I uh, I like that, I yeah. like that sort of phrasing yeah. of it. Brian, you pointed this out as part of uh, some of the Juneteenth festivities, uh, this happening in Washington, where our representative, Nakima Williams of Georgia, along with Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey and Senator Jeff Markley of Oregon, reintroduced a resolution to negate a clause in the 13th Amendment of the Constitution that permits slavery or involuntary servitude as a punishment for crime. And they're specifically calling out prisoners who may work under conditions where they may not want to. And they see that as a form of slavery. And they see that as a major loophole that has to be filled in immediately. And I just want to know, what were your thoughts on that? Brian, you first, and then Theron. Well, I, I think if you're looking at the messaging from we're abolishing slavery, making that official in the Constitution, that's going to get a lot of support. When you start getting into some of the details about how prison systems are run, I think it probably is going to have a little rockier path in the in the Congress because you then start getting into states' ability to manage their prison populations. And, you know, where do you draw the line? If You know, can you give them duties in the kitchen? Can they have duties in the garden outside of the jail? You know, it starts getting a little tricky when you get down into those dirty details. But as far as a a broad stroke of making sure that, that slavery, that we have some sort of symbolic stance against slavery in our country, I think that's something that could get bipartisan support. 
What about you, Theron? Did, did that move you <laughs> one way or the other? <laughs> well, I think it just, that. you know, it just kind of is a, is, a, is a reminder as as a country that, you know, we still have this language that's in the 13th Amendment. So, you know, I want to commend these lawmakers for coming together, you know, and Akima Williams being a person who represents the seat that belonged to Congressman John Lewis. I mean, I could definitely see him being a person that uh, would have continued his sort of service and, and, and echoing this. But the thing that I think that when, you know, you read the articles that I thought was very interesting is that they wanted to make it very clear um, that they were not trying to, you know, interfere with opportunities for incarcerated people to consent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to work. Uh, yeah. And I think that was really the you know, the big thing that they wanted to do here. But uh, as I said just before, um, you know, the, the fact that we had slavery in this country, you know, we always want to sort of rewrite the past. A lot of Republicans are trying to take out certain things out of the, you know, the curriculums and the, in the history books and they want to rewrite it. But the truth of the matter is, is that slavery is a part of the U.S. history that has been sort of redefined in many ways. But we got to talk about it and not saying that it's it defines all of us and what we stand for. But the fact that these members are coming together to introduce it into Congress, I think that it would just continue to make us think more about where we are and, and where we're headed. Yeah, referring it to, they refer to it as a loophole that uh, needs to be cleared up uh, rather quickly. Let me me point out, Lisa, I I get it. Theron sometimes says he gets in trouble with his liberal friends when he doesn't push back on me. And I want to tell you, I sometimes get in trouble with my conservative friends when I don't push back on Theron making broad statements about Republicans. (laughs) The idea that we don't want to talk about slavery isn't, isn't true. I think talking about that history, talking about even Jim Crow and and how that shapes us is all part of it. The Republicans underlying issue is that can't be what defines us fundamentally. Our story is so much broader than that. You know, like the 2019, I'm sorry, the 1619 project out of the New York Times, slavery is the define is the definition of America. That, that's what has defined our history. We reject that. We, we reject that framing of it and teaching kids that we are inherently evil, that this is an inherently bad country. That's our issue. Yeah, but out of respect to our guests, I won't um, take too long. To but, look, we do have a very. Let me let me let me let yeah. me be very clear. I'm not saying it's all of who we are, but there is an attempt by Republicans, particularly in Florida and other places, to try to take it out of curriculum, and they don't want you know white, Asian, Hispanic, and Black kids to learn about a very dark time in our country. But Brian, you know this. I mean, we there were people in this country before you know, Christopher Columbus all of a sudden just discovered it, right? Mm. And slavery was a workforce development issue Mm -hmm. for a lot of white people. I mean, they used black people, enslaved them, and they used them to basically try to drive the economy and try to, you know, create create jobs. I mean, that's just that's just kind of where we were. And Lincoln gets all this credit. And this is why Juneteenth is so important, because it was in Galveston, Texas, where people two years later did not even realize that they were, were not free. And mm-hmm. so when I when I when I think that when I say Republicans don't want it to be taught, it's not that I, you know, look, I'm a black man on this podcast about to have a robust conversation with two very intelligent white males. Lisa is an African-American woman who is you know, the host of this podcast. So trust me, I am I, I epitomize how this country is great and you can be whoever you want to be. But I don't see Democrats out here trying to, you know, take certain things out of the history books and try to redefine things. I think we're only trying to highlight some of the dark days, which, which is well, a part of our culture. Yeah, so so we can get to our guest uh, rather quickly because you know he's busy. He is busy, and we appreciate him being here today. Would you all consider 
the 2020 presidential election a dark day in Georgia history? <laughs> I think it was probably, honestly. They're laughing, know. Gabriel Sterling, our special <laughs> guest today. They're laughing. Gabriel Sterling is the chief uh, operating officer for the Secretary of State's office, who so graciously agreed to be our special guest today. Thank you for being here. Of course, Lisa. We appreciate you so much. And we wanted to talk about what election integrity issues possibly that we may see moving forward. The Dominion voting machines, the state's voting software is at issue again, so to speak, after a report came out last week. And word has seeped out that Georgia election officials will not update the system in the near future, particularly before the 2024 presidential election. So a lot of people are scratching their heads wondering why, especially in wake of all the confusion back in 2020. Well, Lisa, let's start by saying there was no confusion back in 2020. There's a group (laughs) of people who were disgruntled who lied their ass off. That's essentially what happened. And they went out there and took what were normal processes to confuse people. And frankly, going back, piggybacking on your earlier conversation, in large part, they tried to use racism as a justification for part of that when you brought up Fulton County and Ruby Freeman and things like that. So there wasn't any real actual confusion. In fact, on election day, we were doing a victory lap of how well the election was run. And then just God help us if we had stuck with the previous system having no ballots. Can you imagine the confusion that would have happened then? We were able to do a hand tally showing that the results were the same. We did a recount showing the results were the same. So we did the first count, the hand tally, and the recount. All the, the Every lawsuit tossed. No evidence. Every investigation found itself. All these claims. And, you know, what, what I find amazing now, it is now June of 23. And I go to elections conferences and I tell people, how many people still refer to 2020 as last year? And every hand shoots up. Mm. We are still dealing with the same garbage. But and, do, do there are weaknesses within the system. Do you agree? Do you acknowledge that? Weaknesses that do need to be upgraded and fixed? No, I don't. Here's the, here's the reality of it. There are theoretical vulnerabilities, and vulnerabilities do not equal risk in the real world. And that's the issue you have. You have one scientist who is an activist who has done this for years. He gets paid to say that using a particular type of system is better than using another type of system. And the things that he outlines in his report, which is in a lawsuit that was started in 2017 under the DREs, was um, uh, done by the College for Good Government and the curling plaintiffs. It's now gone on for over six years. And they keep on moving the goalposts. Every system has some kind of, you know, quote unquote, vulnerabilities. If you have bad actors, nearly every one of these claims require bad actors doing something and being unnoticed through all of our layers of security. When he, when the gentleman, the professor did his report, Here's all your passwords. Here's three months of unfettered access. Feel free. And so what was done subsequent to that report, MITRE, which has a federal election lab, it is a nonprofit, federally funded laboratory that's been working with governments in the United States since the 1950s. They have a a specific section on election elections and elections protections. They reviewed his analysis with the assumption that yes, the vulnerabilities exist, even though they, they, could, they couldn't verify them themselves. They're saying, yes, if these exist, this could happen this way. And that these people were able to fundamentally get to the machines around our normal processes and procedures. So in 2022, we ran an election. Nobody really complained about that. I mean, people won, people lost, but we didn't hear too much. And I think in large part, that's because Republicans in the state won 
and then Senator Warnock won. So everybody had something to get point to and say, yes, this was all okay. When we saw that report, we said, yes, these are some things we have to look at addressing in a responsible way. So we were thinking, can we do it now? Can we just can we take it and do it? Because this actually wasn't certified until March of this year. It's only about three months. And it has never been used in any election anywhere in America. I don't know about y'all, but I've got an iPhone. I never buy the new iPhone. I get the iPhone from last year. So that all the bugs are worked out. <laughs> so our plan is to responsibly go and do piloting, keep our robust security measures in place. Plus, we are, again, partnering with the Department of Homeland Security to go in and look at every location equipment is held and review all those things. Make sure that there's about 10 new ones. We're going to start with those. Um, 148 of the 159 counties have given us all the addresses, and we're working with, we're trying to partner with other agencies in Georgia to provide more boots on the ground for that, including the Georgia Emergency Management Agency. As a, that's, a, that's a baseline. There are passwords on these things. We have multi-factor authentication to get into our voter registration system. We are, security is key, and the system as it is deployed is secure. If you give me the keys to your house and the password to your computer, is that a vulnerability? <laughs> and, that's, and obviously, that's not how the world works. Right. Well, well Gabe, Kelly Leffler's group, Greater Georgia, put out a strongly worded statement last week saying that you guys need to get some kind of software update that's going to fix these bugs. So what's the response to that? Well, first of all, there aren't bugs. It's just, <laughs> it's just a system. And, every, and we're, we have a, a new update. It's from 5.5 to 5.17. And when it got to us, we said, how can we do it? The problem you have is it hasn't been used anywhere. So for safety's sake, we assess the risk to the election system. It's riskier to do this update, untested update, than to continue our security protocols that worked in 2020, 2022. We looked at ways to do it, but the reality is we have actual elections we have to do too. As you all know, in your line of work, we have a few hundred cities that are going to have municipal elections starting in November. Qualifying for those are in August. You have to start in the system you're working in. Then... After that, you have March 20, March 12th as the presidential preference primary. And since it's a federal election, you have to do the military and overseas votes 49 days before, which means you're building ballots in December. And then there's one other little law we have that says we have to have a unified system. Everybody has to use the same equipment and same software. We looked at it and assessed the risk and said, we had a robust battle-tested system in 20 and 22 and 24. No one's been able to get through this. And we had a situation in Coffee County where an election director who's now under investigation by the GBI allowed Sidney Powell paid people from the Trump campaign to go and image the software. And then they, they have the software. Now, we always assume bad actors have our software. That's just an assumption you should always make when you're dealing with these things. But we, the problem we have, it's not a simple, easy explanation to go through all these processes and, and let people understand. If they're saying there's vulnerabilities, like I said at the beginning, vulnerabilities aren't real life risks all the time. They can be if they're exploited, but it is a nuanced, deep conversation to have people understand this. And that's just a hard thing to do with people who are election deniers on the left and the right, because this lawsuit was brought by you know, left-wing activists to get rid of DREs originally. And now stuff from this lawsuit, the Holloman Report included, was used in the Eastman memos to Trump to seize voting machines. Mm-hmm. This irresponsible behavior by people, the, the far left and far right activists has to stop. It has to because it's undermining people's faith in the elections. We're doing this responsibly. We have a safe system. But then politicians get, you know, I've said this before, the incentives are backwards. Mm. Being responsible and sober and reasoned doesn't get you, you know, clicks on Twitter. It doesn't raise you $100 million. Yelling about stolen elections and 
voter suppression, raise you hundreds of millions of dollars and get you all kind of coverage. But being yeah. a responsible actor, like Secretary Raffensperger has been since he's been in office, he has been responsible and reasonable, and the voters of Georgia have rewarded him for it. Yeah. But also, we have, you know, we're like the representatives who have loud people at their breakfasts who are saying, yes. do this, we got to fix this. And what's funny, this was all going pretty well until there was a report from our good friends at um, a, what do you call it? I, I try to blank them out of my head sometimes. What's the gateway pundit? And once that report came out, it caught on fire. Yeah. Okay, Gabe, I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think our political breakfast of, uh, audience is going to be particularly familiar with Gateway Pundit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Theron, Theron, bring you into, let's bring you into the conversation. You got, you, you got cybersecurity officials urging election officials here in Georgia and across the country to update their system. So, I mean, what is your response to what Gabriel just said? First of all, Gabe, I want to you know, praise you on this podcast and I've done it publicly and I even told your boss that I think that, you know, your your candor and your um, commitment to election security was on display during the 2020 elections when you warned the country that if we don't reduce the rhetoric and don't sort of push back on people who are trying to f- spread false narratives, then we were going to have violence. And you were referring to not directly or maybe de- maybe directly to the former president, Donald Trump and his campaign, who, by the way, were the people who were actually spreading the most negativity in, in, in the election deniers in 2020. But be that as it may, I have a, two questions. So to echo on uh, Lisa's point, so if you got Kelly Loeffler, you got right-wing groups, you got left-wing groups, you got professors, you got organizations, I just named five, and sort of a very sort of, you know, characterized them, then if they're saying that there are glitches, there's challenges, there's voter irregularities, there's, you know, this machine that, you know, to have some some concerns, then why is it that they're saying something totally different than, than you are? That's my first question. Then my second question is, one of the things that I have been very concerned about on this show and have said publicly is the ongoing coordination that is needed between your office and the local board and elections and the election uh, division chairman. Because as you know, when things happen, like we saw in Coffee County and other places in Fulton County, the long lines, the voter machines, you know, not working, um, not, enough, not having enough poll workers. So how is that relationship between the Secretary of State's office and the local uh, election divisions and boards? How how is that improved, and what what should we expect to see that's better in twenty twenty four than it has been in the previous two election cycles in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two? Let's go back to twenty. Let's go to your first question. Everybody you just named has a dog in the fight outside of run, having well run elections. I mean. The professor, again, he's a well-paid activist who has a specific thing, and there's a handful of other ones. And I kind of view them sometimes. I was in a deposition. They referred to him as an election security expert, and I said, I deny that a characterization. He is a computer expert. I'll give you that. He's never run an election, never counted a ballot, never built a ballot, never dealt with a county, never run a polling location. And they'll all you have to take all these into account. And it's gonna, this is going to play into your second question, Theron, actually. And also use words like there's problems with machines and irregularities. Nobody's making those claims. All they're saying is there's vulnerability and something might be able to happen. And they're highly theoretical. No one's actually been able to execute this anywhere, in large part because we have strong security protocols on the front end. We have, te- we have logic and actually testing where they literally test every machine deployed before every single election. Not election cycle, every single election. 
And then we have, we just upped the number of audits. We passed SB 129, which increased the number of audits for federal and statewide races. And those can catch the problems on the back end, potentially. Those, we have to deal in the real world. Academics just don't. Activist groups raise money on any problem. You know, they kind of throw a tomato, whatever you do. Because trust me, we could do all what we say here. And I've had this discussion before. Give a mouse a cookie. They're going to a glass of milk. Well, then do this. Well, then do this. There's never going to be a point that they stop and say, yes, this is enough. Well, you're, so so oh, you're yes. telling me on right. June 20th, the day after mm-hmm. June 10th, that Georgia election systems and all of the machines and the process is flawless. There, there are no oh. bugs. There are no hiccups. There, there, are no, there are no challenges. There's nothing that the Secretary of State's office can do better. Is that what you're telling me? You no, should, you're not, telling me you guys have, you know, I'm not, like, I'm like these. Okay. I'm trying to okay. answer. I'm not saying it's flawless. Now you sound like Trump saying we said it was a flawless election. We Don't compare said, me to Trump. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to hit you in the gut, man. Um, perfect. Yeah. It was yeah. perfect. Yeah, I'm a, the reality no, no, is. I'm, no, no, hold on. Let me push back. The difference between me and Trump, I'm respecting you and asking you a question because all <laughs> I've heard today is these five groups are crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. They all have a political motivated reason for basically wanting democracy and wanting election security to happen. And they're partisan and just totally discounting the work of these organizations. I mean, you know, this is not, I mean, it's Brian Mitchell. This is Kelly Leffler, your, your former U.S. senator, saying we need also, to fix stuff. One who also said the secretary should resign. That is true. But my point is, uh, that was not a good day for her. That was not a good day. I'm just going to ask my question. So, because all I'm hearing is they're they're wrong. We're right. There are no bugs. There are no voter irregularity. There's nothing we can do to improve it because. I've not said any of those things. You're characterizing what I'm saying in exactly the way that you. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm saying it's secure in the real world that we have processes and procedures that would catch if some of these things happen, either on the front end or the back end. The one thing we can never account for is a bad actor. It doesn't matter what the system is at that point. I'll give you that. Yeah, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't stop those people in Coffee County who were trying to basically overturn the votes for the Republicans. And, and you, you can't stop that. They were violating the rules and the law. That's right. But what about, what about the relationship with the, with the local election? What about finding more poll workers, not relying on our most seasoned people who, for COVID and different reasons, what are we doing to make sure that the lines are not as long? Well, first of all, there are no lines on election day. Let's make that very clear. That doesn't. No, take- yeah, there are lines. Yeah, there are not. lines on the south. Yeah, no. I, I, I drive every election, Gabe. All due respect, nope. to come on this show and say there are no long lines on election day. I will come on that, that show. That is, that is false. <laughs> Baron, you're just wrong. Everything was reported. Every right. crisis, longest I'm line. Gonna sh- I'm going to send you videos. Okay. <laughs> longest line in Fulton County. That was what do you consider long? Yeah. What, what do you consider long? Anything less? Anything more than twenty minutes is long tonight. Oh, we definitely got some videos of people laying in line. On, 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 fact, up in Buckhead, where I live, Gabe. No, right. you definitely I've waited over 20 minutes. Not uh, election. Yeah. Yes, I have. I Recently. I have, no, I have no data to that effect. We have we, every polling location reports into us. The longest wait in 2022 that was recorded on election day was about 18 minutes in northwest Georgia, yeah. not in metro Atlanta. And were early, it was early voting. And you're, you're attributing that to early voting, no, there's the, early voting where there were lines, no yeah. question, which is one of the reasons the secretary no, said- No, 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 no. I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm pretty pretty smart. <laughs> I am saying that there- you know, I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to even talk about- And Gabe, you know I love you, brother, so this is just oh, good. Yeah. This, is good, this is a good podcast. <laughs> I know that you don't even want to go down that road with me on early voting, right? Because I know you, you would admit that that's 18 minutes or higher. I'm telling yeah. you that on election day, 
there have been long lines because of something has happened in some of your precincts, right? I mean, you're telling me that the average time has been 18 minutes on 2020 and 2022. No, 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 no. The average time is three. The average time to wait in Georgia in the entire state was less than three minutes in 2022. It was less than three minutes in 2020. Wow. Early voting, there was problems in the June thing because we had this little thing called COVID. And and it was almost exclusively in Fulton County because we kept on saying, do you have enough poll workers? Do you have to poll workers? And they said, yes, yes, yes. And on the Friday before the election, did an emergency call for 300 mm-hmm. poll workers to go meet mm-hmm. them. And they'd never even seen the machines before that day. So I can do this. We can do this all day long. And I've got data to, pa- to back up my stuff. You might have I to just, But I just remember, and, and this is a, actually, you know, the voting behaviors. A lot of people like to go early in the morning on election days. So, Gabe, mm-hmm. you're telling me. In a, in a state of, let's say metro area, in Cobb County, I have a good friend, dear friend, he goes every election early morning. I know that he waited on election day because he likes to get there early, longer than 18 minutes. So you don't even think that the lines are very, very long in the mornings? Okay. If you're there first thing in the morning, <laughs> there's no way to manage that. If there's a hundred no, no, people. I'm saying, but no, once they, once they get there. No, I'm saying once you get there. Because I'm, I'm telling you what you said. You said the average time was 18 minutes, right? No, 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 so no, no. Polls, Three minutes. No. Three minutes. No, statewide. Three minutes. Statewide three three minutes. minutes. I don't, know. I, I don't know. I'm that. telling you, it was. We have, we have. A, I can give you the screen caps of all the data we have. Uh, we have, we have stuff deployed. The poll managers do it. I am telling you, that is yeah. a fact. Yeah, because everybody's voting early now. Everybody's voting early. That's you know, include. I'm, I was election day right, now. Well, listen, no, I'm, I'm gonna send a message, and I'm gonna be done. Listen, I'm gonna send a message <laughs> to all my ACLU people, all the all the organizations that gave love, ACLU, NAACP, <laughs> all the groups. Y'all, please hear what he just said, and if y'all have anecdotal <laughs> oh. evidence. If y'all have videos, which I know you do, send them to me, and I'm gonna text them to my good friend Gabe, and we're gonna we're gonna have a coffee. And and if you first thing in the morning, there's gonna be a line. You decide to get in line with 30 other people, they're they're gonna process. It's kind of like even in the the weird, terrible day of June of 2020 at Park Tavern, that's where they had the longest lines because Fulton County Mm -hmm. had to had to put four voting. They had 16,600 voters there, and their processing time was the fastest in the state. But they had 400 people and they opened the doors and, and they were processing 160 an hour. You can't go any faster than that. But that's voter behavior. That's not system problems. So hold right. on. I'm sorry, Lisa. Don't kill me. So you, okay. So maybe we're talking about two different things. I'm talking about when I get out of my car and I get in line, no mm-hmm. matter the time of the day, when I get in line, yeah. you're telling me that it's going to only take me three minutes. I'm telling you, when I go vote on election day, you're going to probably check my voter file out there. You've probably already done it anyway, because I think I actually haven't voted in person. <laughs> I, I used to try to go early vote. Sometimes I wait till the actual day. No, you know what? Check my file, Gabe. I'm sure y'all have done it already. I should go to my church on the day of the election. Gabe, it takes me longer. By the time I get out of my car and I go to my precinct in Bucket, it takes me longer than three minutes to vote. I'm telling you. Are you taking from the getting out of the car? Yeah, I'm <laughs> saying the minute, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, yeah. no, yeah. Once there's there's no, 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 in the white areas of North Fulton and not in East Point and stuff, they didn't have those those crazy two-hour lines. So we, mm-hmm. we track all this. And we got on to Fulton County because you know what happened in the runoff? They closed a bunch of their early voting locations. Yeah. We have no power to make them open more. Mm-hmm. Right. All, all, it, the Secretary of State does not run those 
those lines. The local county election office does, and then Raffensperger gets blamed if something somebody forgets to bring a power cord or somebody turns on the pull pad wrong. That's that's locally determined. And the yeah, places but, but, I, I always say yeah. this: the places where you where, that you're referring to that have lines are run by Democrats. No, 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 it no, is true. Me, no, no, it is, no, it is 100% Brian, listen, true. Listen to what Gabe just said. All right, you, you and I both, well, you live in DeKalb County. I live in Fulton County. North Fulton County is predominantly white, Asian, Pacific Islander voters, right? Those long lines are not democratically run areas. And correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe. So those long lines that Gabe just talked about. On the election, county is, though. The county's democratically run. We don't divide up Republicans from no. the North. The Democrats yeah. in the South. And besides, at this point, Fulton's mainly Democrat across the board, other than the very, very North. That's like, right. Like, I don't, I don't think I have a Republican representative. I have one Republican representative left in Sandy Springs now. But the reality of it is counties make these decisions. One okay, of the so, things in 2020 yeah. and in 2022 for Election Day is I, Gabriel Sterling, took every single deployment of machines and people and ran it through an algorithm from MIT to say we did a color-coded thing for every county and said – Green, you're good to go. Yellow, take a look at this. Red, you're going to have a failure. And we worked with them. To go back to your question earlier, we have a very good relationship with the counties. But it's it can be difficult sometimes when we ask them to do lots, which we have done the last four <laughs> years. It is hard. Okay. We have launched a new voter registration system that is taking time. And like any software rollout, we're going through new iterations. And it is an iterative process. Yeah. A very good relationship. Frankly, mm. Fulton has very much improved from what they did. I think the state election board's meeting today to basically say they will, they will not go into receivership, whatever we want to call that. And mm-hmm. that report was done by a Democrat, a Republican, and Ryan Germany from our office who's moved on to greener pasture. Mm-hmm. But the reality is counties do a good job. The state We are a model for the United States on how to run elections. We really are. Early yeah, voters, but, early but, but you just, what you just said, though, Gabe, it doesn't come off that way. And I think y'all need to and, – and I appreciate you saying that. Um, but I think, you know, what you just said, and this is why this podcast is so good, and Lisa lets us just go on and on and on, <laughs> is that is the, probably the first public not acknowledgement that I've heard. And, and it was great what you just said. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think that I talked to a lot of county people in the cab and Cobb and Fulton. I know people who are on the board. They feel that they get blamed a lot for this stuff, right? And that's why I was asking the question, what are we doing now in the month of June well, to make we, sure that we, those we relationships are strong? We drew training constantly. We had a special conference we just did in January where we had them all come in. They all enjoyed it. We go to Gavria. We work with them. There's always going to be some contention because, like Brian said, things happen in counties. Our office gets blamed for it. And then we have to say, what the hell did y'all do? Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to forget on election runoff of 21 when we knew that there were only 17,000 ballots out in DeKalb. And someone told Chairman Thurman there were 71,000 ballots out. And I'm trying to get uh, their director on the phone, trying to get the chairman on the phone because he's going on CNN saying there's many votes out. If there's that many votes out, then the things could change. I don't remember exactly what it was. I said, guys, is anybody looking at this? But they reversed the numbers. They just inverted it. So we finally got the elections director on the phone. And I said, how many votes you got out? 71,000. I was like, look again at it. Oh, 17,000. My bad. You're right. I mean, the things they do have effects on all of us. And we're trying to wrangle 159 counties of different resource levels. Um, different persuasions of how they want to do things, but the vast majority of them do a great job. Fulton has always been a problem child. Yeah. Because they're just yeah. For years and years, <laughs> right. We got headlines yeah. going back to the 90s of election problems. And they had people who should have been let go a long time ago. And there was even fighting between the elections board and the county commission. The elections board wanted to fire the last director and fired him. And the county commission said, no, no, you can't fire him. I mean, they have their own issues and they are real. 
Yeah, I hope that Kathy Willard, having been there, has helped cure some of that. She's obviously very competent, and uh, just something I really trust in in this realm. I hope that's, and I don't know the details. I hope that's the case. One thing I want to circle back to the election security thing to see if I'm oversimplifying my view on this, because it seems to me, and I, you know, when I go vote on a machine, I feel like I'm 105 years old because. I still, when I put my little paper into the machine, I still think it's going into a paper shredder, right? Like, mm-hmm. like my vote, and it is, I know it's, I know that's not the case, but I, I you know, I, like an old person who doesn't trust technology, I just like my votes disappear. I felt that way with the old machines too. So my, my entire adult life, I felt this way, but it seems to me that my little paper comes out of the machine and it's got the people that I voted for. And in order for there to be a mass hack, that alters the votes, every voter like me has to not look at that sheet before putting it into the scanner. Like everyone would have to fail to notice that the name on their ballot isn't who they voted for. And that once there's the paper trail audit, if there's a question about the computer count, you can go back and see the paper that I, as a voter, signed off on. Am I oversimplifying it as far as like the the ultimate last line of defense on election integrity? The ultimate last line of defense is the voter themselves. If they see something wrong with their ballot, and we have signage, we work the counties to train them, and even to a point where the person at the scanner is supposed to say, have you reviewed your ballot? Yeah. I mean, and that's an important which, step. In this. In which mine never does in cab, by the way. Voters <laughs> have responsibilities. <laughs> counties have responsibilities. This is a system. This is not a computer sitting in a room somewhere. This is a system that has to be run by thousands of people. Like some of the security things that was put in the uh, Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency memo, we've known about some of these things for for a while. I mean, CISA came out with theirs about a year ago, are not workable in the real world if you want to have a system that works. Like one of, the, one of their suggestions was you have individual passwords for every poll worker card. There's usually about four poll worker cards per location. And we have 2,600 or so voting locations. That'd be 11,000 different passwords. It would be chaos. You wouldn't be able to turn on machines. It would be really secure. It's so secure, nobody could actually work the system. Um, and that's, that's one of the kind of things they want to do. They want to use serialized media, which is, again, I'm getting into the weeds of this, to explain all of this is hard. These vulnerabilities are not easy to exploit. And if they are exploited, they're discovered. We're trying to be responsible because I don't want to basically take a brand new car out that's never been driven by anybody before and put the entire state of Georgia in it. Mm. We want to do, we want to do rational, responsible pilots, which we have planned for November and then get through the 24 election on a system. We know it's been mm. tested. It's gone through with these potential theoretical vulnerabilities. Mm. And if you give a scientist enough time, they can, if, if I gave a scientist the password and key to the CIA's computer, he could go and do things. <laughs> you know that's that's the reality. But one like a lot of these hacks, you have to physically get to a BMD with a screwdriver and pry open a door through a seal. That's one of the vulnerabilities. Somebody's going to notice that. <laughs> well, Theron, I'm ask you in the end: yeah. Is it rational to say that it's the voters' fault that they they didn't look at the ballot? Is that rational? And Gabe, again, thank you for coming on. So you know this is not personal. I have to ask the tough questions. Um. No, I don't think it's rational, Lisa, but I, I understand what Gabe is saying that, you know, you, you their office has to basically equip the Georgia voters with all the information they need prior to going to the polls, right? They they, they got to have these trainings. And, you know, I just think that as a person who used to, and I've talked about this on the show before, Lisa, you know, my, my grandmother 
um, you know, used to go to take me to the voting polls with her all the time, right? And so, you know, that was back when you had to, to basically to push, you know, the paper ballot of who you voted for. And so, you know, voting to me should be a good experience. It should be something that people should be proud of. And I'm not accusing you of this game, but it shouldn't be, you know, people feeling like if I don't do it the right way, this this sort of intimidation and saying, hey, if you if if the vote doesn't go through, it's your fault. No, I mean, it's got to be these checks and balances in place to make sure that it's good. So I'm not saying that Gabe was saying that. And Brian, don't, don't, don't push back. I'm, I'm being questioned with him. But, but one can interpret what you just said, Gabe, as like at the end of the day, the last line of defense is the voter. And, and I just think that, to Brian's point, I feel more secure now. When I take my ballot, I look at it. I actually look at the screen, go over all mm-hmm. of my votes. And then mm-hmm. when I actually can physically and tangibly sort of put something in a machine, I don't know where it goes and what happens from that point on, uh, I think that I've done everything that we've done. But, Gabe, you know we've had instances where people have brought back evidence to the county, to the state, to saying, hey, my my vote wasn't properly recorded correctly. Or, um, you know, some it, it didn't it didn't give me that option to vote. You know, we saw in DeKalb County, which I'm not blaming you all for this, but we saw in DeKalb County where there was a reversal recently in a county commission race, right, where a person got more votes because the algorithm wasn't put in place. And so, again, I'm just pushing back on this notion that it's it's ultimately the voters, because it's also these candidates, right? I mean, the woman ended up winning, Michelle Long Spears. You remember this, Gabe. She went to sleep the night of the election thinking that she didn't make the runoff, woke up the next day. Figured out that she did because there was something wrong with the, the the way that the algorithm was put in place and machine. And so I just think we got to just be fair to our listeners to say that, Gabe, I thought you, I think you've done a really good job of educating people and, and letting us know what you all are doing. Um, but at the same time, I do think that uh, this is why this, this segment is so important because I'm learning a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people are, are learning as well. So um, one thing, I, Gabe, I want to ask you before you leave, and, you know, full disclosure, I used to represent a company called BoxLock. I know, you know, Brian talked to you about them. Um, what are you all doing to make sure that you can, sit, sit in a sophisticated way, bring back the drop boxes and a company like BoxLock that has utilizing technology, um, you know, allowing the, the voter, because you want to put the onus back on the voter to track their ballot, right? If they submit it early, they have an app, it's technology. Secretary of State's offices are looking at it across the country. So is that something that you guys are sort of exploring about more innovative ways to use drop boxes and to be able to track the ballots that they're submitting? Well, we have, um, obviously, we've already have in place ballot tracks, which I think 600,000 Georgians have already signed up for. Right. Um, and you, once you sign up once, you're in the system. So the subsequent elections, you don't have to sign up again. And what that does is when your request gets in, you get a notification however way you want it on your cell phone, um, through a text, email, or, or a live or a phone call to you to let you know where it is in process. We are currently, the, the legislature gave us money to upgrade that to allow for tying into the USPS tracking. Right. So you can say, hey, it's on, it's at the Crown Road facility and will be sent, be, be scheduled sent out this day. So you will have a lot more visibility into that moving forward. We've been working on that. And one of the things that I'm really proud of we're working on right now is right now, disabled voters, especially blind voters, they can they walk through on the BMD making their choices, but they can't review their ballot. They have to have somebody right. else do it for them. So we're, we're trying to build a station right now where they can walk over, throw headphones on, it can scan it. And mm. read the ballot back to them, so then they can ind- wow. independently verify their ballot. So wow. we're always working. They on use it. like braille. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They can, use a braille. We, we talk to them through the headphones and read. Okay. It. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we're, that's we're cool. Right now, uh, mm-hmm. no other state in the country is doing that yet. We've look. 
this office is dedicated to security. It is dedicated to innovation. I'm giving a talk in Colorado and California over the next couple of weeks, basically saying, if you're not innovating, you are failing your voters. Mm. We have to do that, but we have to do it in a responsible, rational way. And I think, I'm hoping, this office has gotten some level of credibility that when we say we're doing it the right way, that we're doing it the right way. And the hey. problem is we have, the, we have people mm-hmm. on the fringe left and fringe right who, who basically have they come full circle and don't trust anything that we say. And I had a discussion with an elected official like, well, no one in Georgia trusts us. I'm like, no, it's about 2% because we look at the polling from the 2022 election, over 90% of people were satisfied and thought it did a really good job. And we couldn't find anybody having any real substantive problems outside of regular life stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. there's, there's never going to be a perfect election. That's well, all, one thing for sure, all eyes are going to be on Georgia again for these next few years. And, and you know that all too well. Uh, Gabriel Sterling, you did this whole podcast with a smile on your face. We, we appreciate you for, for doing that, for being here and, and answering all the questions. Well, what it was, was all the UGA and, and Atlanta Brave stuff I see around me. <laughs> Makes you pretty happy. Well, thanks again. And, and look, good luck out there. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Thanks Thank to y'all. you, Gabe. And right, we hope right. um, we hope that one of these days we'll get a chance to vote for you for whatever you decide to do in the future, because you've obviously earned that that right to go pursue something big. You've uh, served Georgia very well. I don't know if you punished me that way or not. I thought you were my friend. <laughs> thanks, 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 Gabe. But I, I don't like I don't like the Trump reference earlier. I'm gonna get you back. Just <laughs> <laughs> no, I may hit you. I may hit you one day on the podcast. No, thank you for coming on. Yeah. And, uh, as Lisa said. You know, answering all the tough questions. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to all the new technology and things you guys are coming out with. Well, thanks, y'all. Thank we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, uh, congratulations are in order. We'll be right back after this. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Welcome back to Political Breakfast. That was a very lively and informative conversation with uh, Gabriel Sterling there. So we appreciate him uh, coming on at the last minute, too. So that, that was pretty cool. Yes, good stuff. Yeah, look, and I, and I respect Gabe, and Brian knows that. I, and I, you know, I think that the one thing I like, Lisa, is that he didn't back down. Now, he didn't say everything I wanted him to say or I thought he should have said. I think the. But I think he utilized this podcast as an opportunity to talk about things that the Secretary of State's office is doing and also to respond to the, I think, five or more, you know, critics right now that are claiming that they want more change and more sort of technology fixes at the Secretary of State, particularly dealing with the voter machine. So I think our yeah. listeners are going get, to get a lot of information out of this segment. Well, I said congratulations were in order. Last week we talked about how both of you were nominated for a prestigious Emmy Award, and and you were talking about how you didn't have tickets. So first of all, update: Did you get in the room? Did you we get got in the room? room? You got in the room. Okay. Yes. And, and we want to thank Brandon Reese, who is the Governor Affairs Guy for the Motion Picture Association of America here in Georgia, who delivered tickets. But his his condition was, <laughs> I want to go with you. So he sat with us. 
And oh, that's got, pretty cool. And we got to sit uh, at the table next to Coach Mark Rick, longtime University oh. of Georgia football player. Oh, he you was gotta be kidding me. I mean, coach, okay. football coach. So he was he uh, was in a in a uh, show or program or news story that had been nominated to. They didn't win either, uh, but, but we didn't win. So it was, it was a little disappointing. <laughs> yeah. It's rigged. It's all rigged. Everybody nominated is a winner. Absolutely. So, you know, there's I'm going always with that. next year. You, you guys were winners. And, would, and that whole show, everybody who works on that show, was it Lori Geary? Who's who's the producer? Uh, what, Suzanne what, Gunn and Russ Spencer. Oh, okay. Everybody knows Russ Spencer. Everybody loves Russ Spencer. Yeah. And Suzanne was great. All right. Well, good. Yeah, and Congratulations. Quick, Lisa, are in order. Just shout out to Evelyn Mims. And, and it was a really well-run program. My first always, one. I think always. First one. I got a chance yeah. to actually present. Uh, so thank them for that opportunity. But it was disappointing that we didn't win. Um, now, I would tell you this. I mean, people really dressed up. People were looking yeah. good. I mean, this thing is a huge, yeah. huge deal. So Brian and I basically, you know, we're, we're very happy that we got a chance to attend. A little disappointed that we didn't win. But I definitely think that a lot of the recipients, um, people, you can tell they put a lot of their heart. And you notice, Lisa, you know, when you were at uh, Fox 5 and, and other stations that, you know, you, you, you never know if you're going to win or not. So you can definitely tell people were surprised and very honored. Uh, mm-hmm. that they won. But yeah, we, we we were a little disappointed. We didn't, you know, we thought we should have won, uh, but no, no you know. And <laughs> Always def- next year. Always yeah, um, next we'll, year. We'll, we'll come back next year. <laughs> I do say shout out to our colleagues at WABE because they had a win Saturday yeah. night. Uh, Killer oh Mike's, Mike's show Mike won, yeah. and so he got that up there, awesome. and awesome. Uh, and they were at a table just to our right too, uh, uh, as well. So that was really cool. So yeah. uh, congratulations to WABE and to yeah. Killer Mike. Killer Mike, uh, he's such a great guy. All right, well, thanks, and we'll do it again next week. How about that? Sounds good. Thank you. Okay, guys. y'all have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.